Welcome to Sidebars, Kilpatrick Townsend's limited podcast series focused on women in patent law. I'm April Isaacson, a patent litigator and partner in the San Francisco office. And I'm Kim Davis, a patent prosecutor and partner in the Atlanta office. We're here to discuss the gender gap in the patent bar and have candid conversations with female patent practitioners on their career paths. Welcome to the 15th episode of Sidebars. I am Christina Travelot. Very, very honored to start and kick off this special retrospective episode. Just looking back at the first season, I'm joined here by our very abled hosts, April Abley Isaacson and Kim Davis. And I wanted to just take this opportunity and look back and see 365 days ago, we did not have this podcast for Kilpatrick Townsend that was our first foray into podcasting. A year later, we have produced 14 episodes and this will be the 15th episode. We're recording this in Women's History Month and it just all ties in together. April and Kim, how do you feel about the journey from the last 365 days? Wow, that's um, such a loaded question in such a good way. I, I think yeah, I was thinking about it a little bit because we obviously we didn't plan anything specific. We were just going to have a discussion um, amongst us. And just thinking about all of the guests that we've had and all of, you know, the three of us having our, our podcast episode that we did during Mental Health Awareness Month, the authenticity and just the raw nature of people really opening up their lives and their hearts to us. For me, every single person who was on the podcast inspired me and made me a better person. I just, I mean, I could go on and on about each guest, but people being open about the adversities that they've faced, which are different, but yet similar and how they overcame it to be the strong women that they are, resilient survivors in many instances. I just know that I my life has been forever changed because of this opportunity to be doing this podcast and interviewing all of these women that are really one of a kind throughout generations. How about you, Kim? April, I agree with absolutely everything that you just said. So um, first, I'll start by saying ditto. <laughs> and second, I want to comment on how important the timing was in releasing the podcast, right? So, so okay, let, let's start here. First of all, all of us, those of us who are sitting here listening to the three of us record, as well as the three of us, we're all terribly busy. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows there's no perfect time to do this. But the timing was so perfect that we became, and how do I say this? We became a group we could rely on, we could confide in, a support system during a time where we just needed it. We all needed it. We were right in the heart of the pandemic, right? And, and hopefully we're, we're coming out of this. We're seeing some light now, right? As, as businesses begin to open back up, we'll soon be returning to work. Um, but I was really touched when a colleague of ours wrote to me and said, Kim, this is the coffee chat 
that I need on a daily basis, right? I don't get a chance to sit in your office and talk to you anymore, but I can press play and hear you ladies speak. And it just gives me that comfort. So I can't speak enough about the impact that all of our guests have made, but also the timing. It could not have been better planned. And just to dovetail off of that a little bit, as both of you know, my mother passed away about a week and a half ago. And I can say that the two of you have been my rocks for that. And I really appreciate you and all of your support. Uh, You know, it was a very complicated relationship, but I'm also just looking at the list of guests and I feel like every single one of these women I could reach out to and talk to and have an honest conversation that could be raw and they would be supportive. So that's something that this sisterhood that we talk about is truly something that I can take and put in my heart and my head to help me through what's obviously a very difficult time. To your point, Kim, about the timing of this. I may have mentioned this to you both, but I remember late November 2020, we were all still, you know, the vaccine hadn't been released yet. And so we were all still pretty isolated. And I just remember going on a walk around the neighborhood and thinking, I need more connection. And I was really, if I had a vision board for 2021, I wanted more women relationships. And when you both came first, when that article from Mary Hannon came out and you both read it and you said we wanted to feature women in law, in the legal industry, that was it. Like, I did not realize that that was the universe coming to me and saying, this is, this is what you need. And again, fast forwarding to last month, we had the opportunity and it was virtual to see all the guests come back together and, you know, just have an afternoon of connection and fellowship. That impact, just seeing everyone on screen, even though it's just a screen, it's not in person, that touched me so much. Mm -hmm. Because April, what you said about I can call anyone, and I am not, I'm not a lawyer. I just happen to be in the legal industry. I think the conversations that we had and just how um, candid they were, I felt a connection that, to Kim's point, is so needed while we have been all separated. But yet in that hour, two hours that we were together, there was a connection and there was a bond that wherever our, you know, this year takes us, I have, I have in my heart. So thank you. And I'll just add on to that. You know, Kim and I, we first met each other really virtually, of course. um, And that was in October of 2020 when I came back to the firm. And I feel like I've known her my entire life. And I think the bond that we've created that's a lifetime bond and us being able to be honest and authentic with each other, I hope allowed our guests to feel like they could do the same. Mm-hmm. And I sense that. Did you ladies sense that during the summit? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, our guests had not met each other. They heard each other's episodes, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them may have been featured together. But for the most part, they had not met. But oh, my goodness, my breakout room. <laughs> 
So, so listeners, we, we um, separated into groups. We had a competition. We won't talk about the winner. We won't, <laughs> you know, announce that April may have had the winning team there, but, um, but we all got together and we're just able to have a good time over wine, over mm-hmm. lots of wine, I should add. So. <laughs> and now that we had the summit, we're looking into season two and really we thought this was going to be a year long. It was a limited series. And now we foray into season two. And what's next? What's next for Sidebars? I would say, I think Kim aptly put it when we had the summit that the work is not done. When we first decided this was going to be a limited podcast series, uh, it was because we really wanted to address the issues about the gender gap, gender bias within the patent bar, specifically based on Mary Hannon's paper and some of the excellent work she had done to get senators and you know really just a larger community thinking about how things for women and other underrepresented groups in the patent bar. But then realizing that um, me as a patent litigator, who's been an attorney for more than 25 years, that things have gotten a lot better. But there's so much more work that needs to be done, not just in patent litigation. And wanting to give some exposure to that. And the co-host that I'm going to have next season is uh, an attorney who's been practicing for less than three years. And we thought that that sort of, as I call it, the it's the 50-30 kind of combination of you know someone who's been practicing for quite some time, me, and then a newer attorney, being able to have these dialogues so that we can support each other and also give some visibility for men who may not be aware that this is how we perceive things and how the world has been for us, but also for those men that have been supportive to just get a little bit more insight into the challenges that we still face. I mean, things have changed a lot and have gotten a lot better, but there is a lot more work that needs to be done. And how about you, Kim? Oh, I tell you, you know, I always have something up my sleeve, right? So while I will not be involved um, in the podcast, rest assured that Kim is starting some good trouble somewhere. You just, you know that you already know how I operate in my field. So, so I have two big initiatives, right? And, and these are ones that you all have heard me speak about. Education, number one, I have two young boys in a public school system, which actually is a phenomenal school system, but still so much work to do. So I'm heavily involved on the school level. Um, I'm the chairperson of the student council and working with the principal to make some needed change there. Super involved with the superintendent and, you know, making sure um, the noise that I can provide is heard (laughs) by every level that we have. And then the discussion that we've touched on in our very first episode here, I'm not okay with our numbers. And when I say our, I mean Black professionals, people of color broadly, but let's get down to the nuts and bolts. Black professionals within the patent field, the numbers are absolutely abysmal. And it is my goal to make sure that we improve, increase, make sure that we get the 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 awareness, right? So we we need to start somewhere. So it ties in with my education focus. Let's educate earlier and earlier. So uh, going back to our mental health episode, do you ladies remember when I said I felt COVID robbed me of being able to see my family in person, to get back to New Orleans? I hadn't had that chance. 
pleased to announce that I went back, what was it, a week and a half ago. And I feel that I came back just renewed, right? I needed that. I needed to be back in New Orleans, Louisiana, where I remembered why I'm doing what I'm doing to begin with. I actually went to Xavier University of Louisiana. I brought my babies there. I made them stand on every bench we could find, whatever. Okay, we're taking a picture. Mommy wants to see you do this. And just some just great memories that I had of, you know, the enthusiastic, I can conquer the world, Kim Davis. And then the questions, well, Kim Becknell back then, actually. And then the questions began where did she go? Like, has fear set in? What What's going on with you now? So I just feel revived, renewed, and so committed to these goals that I have. They're big, they're lofty goals, but we have to start somewhere. So I won't be too quiet. <laughs> oh, I'm not worried about that. And I just have to give you a, a little thumbs up. Well, a big thumbs up for invoking John Lewis, because mm-hmm. I love the, you know, good trouble. That's right. I mean, no one was more of an icon and a trailblazer for so many issues and, you know, rest his soul. But yeah, Kim, what was it about being back there, particularly being being with your boys that kind of took you back to, you know, having your own retrospective in, in a sense? Okay, so I am going to start that. First of all, April, fabulous question. You are really brought back to that first episode where you interviewed me. Right. And I'm like, oh, crap. Why, April? Why are you digging so deep? So so you you're going to uncover some things today with with that question. Xavier University of Louisiana is an HBCU. Right. So so there there are different perspectives in terms of um, the education that you receive at HBCUs, which I'm pleased to report is top notch. But also we're affirmed at every possible moment. We're affirmed not only through speech by, you know, professors and administrators constantly speaking life into us. You are our future. You can do this. You go out, you be bold, you conquer the world, do it for your community and the good of humanity. Do it for everyone, right? So so there's that part. But there's also the part where you see so many people who look just like you. You aren't the unicorn anymore. I'm a unicorn where I am. Let's just be honest. In my office, Even in Atlanta, Georgia, I am an absolute unicorn. People saying I've never met a black woman with a Ph.D. in chemistry doing patent law. Oh, my gosh, you're so unique. Being back there on that soil in New Orleans, Louisiana, I remembered my strong community and how I'm not so unique in that regard, which is a good thing. Right. It's always good to be unique, but not there. We are well represented. And you almost forget that, especially being a part from your family and from that environment for two full years. It was two years. I marked the date from when I was last able to visit and then COVID happened. And then two years later, I was able to return home and and kind of soak in all of that good energy and be reminded of sitting in those um, lecture halls where it was tough. Don't get me wrong, but you just felt that spirit of encouragement flowing through each and every building all across the campus. So I think that 
that's what I remembered. And then I could speak to my boys about it. Like, oh, no, this is where mommy did such and such. This is where mommy was in the lab, blah, blah, blah. Oh, mommy, do you think I'm going to go to Xavier one day? Uh, Yes, you sure will. And take this picture in front of this so that I can show it at your graduation from Xavier. Just things like that. So it, it, it just helped me. You know how you hear a song, right, that brings up all of the memories. Walking on that campus brought back all of those memories for me. It's it's interesting because I know we've talked about before the, that I went to a women's college and it was one of the Seven Sisters women's colleges that were specifically set up because women were not allowed to go to Ivy League schools, right? So that was it. And Mount Holyoke College, where I went, we had Emily Dickinson attended Mount Holyoke College. Frances Perkins, who was a real trailblazer because she was the U.S. Secretary of Labor from 1933 to 1945, obviously a trailblazer. A friend of mine that was a year behind me, she was Deputy Chief of Staff for Rahm Emanuel during the Obama administration. So seeing women like that, and I'm just naming a handful of people that came from where I went to school, and it's the same thing, Kim, that you were saying. You know, I came from an environment, I started college in 1984 where and went to a very large public high school where you raised your hand, you could be in the front row and the teacher would call on the boy uh, sitting next to you. You just were almost invisible in some ways. That's just how it was to going to a place where women were running everything and really feeling like you were just from the moment you woke up in the morning until you went to bed at night surrounded with strong women that supported each other. Because of of course, I'm sure it was the same thing at Xavier. There's competition, right? Because we're all, you know, the type A's and wanting to be successful. But having the people that you're making these lifelong friendships with be supportive of you um, throughout your whole life. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you have the same thing with your former classmates where, you know, these are lifetime relationships that are made because of this ability to be not a unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. And in that environment, and then go out in the world and be a stronger person because of the community that you were able to create uh, based on really having these a special place that you got to attend for college. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, I only wish I knew how special it was back then, right? It was our norm. It was, oh, you go to class, you you know what I mean? I'm going to sit next to Miranda. Oh, I miss my friend Miranda. She's a medical doctor right now. Hope you're listening somewhere. Um, I'm sitting <laughs> next to Miranda. It's no big deal. This is what we see all day long. And then reality sets in. Reality for me set in um, when I went to Emory for grad school back to the unicorn point. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the kickoff. Not as much because I had at least a, a handful of others. Um, and then as I continued along, it, fewer and fewer. Um, but hey, look, again, I'm working to change that. And I have so many others in the industry. Braxton Davis, he's my um, law school classmate who has a phenomenal company, and and he's done great work in terms of creating partnerships to where um, patent agents or soon to be patent agents really get the experience they need. So there could be pretty much no excuse as to why you don't have full representation at your firm or your company. So 
No, it's it's funny too because I, you mentioned going to Amory and then all of a sudden you're outside of that environment and you realize what you had that you didn't fully appreciate at the time. I had the same experience. I went to the University of Chicago for graduate school right after Mount Holyoke and, uh, you know, loved the University of Chicago. Wonderful. So nothing bad to say, but it was interesting because in my lab, we had the, the head of the lab was originally from England. And we had quite a few postdocs that were from England. And I was wearing my Mount Holyoke College sweatshirt. And they asked me what that was. And I explained that it was a women's college. And they said, women's college? We don't we don't have women's colleges in Europe. Why do you need a women's college? And I explained it was because we weren't allowed to go to Ivy League schools. And to them, it was mind-blowing. They couldn't even understand that that was a thing. And when I started college in 1984... It was only 10 years before that, that women were allowed to go to Ivy League schools Mm. in terms of actually being part of the specific university, not an affiliated university or college, I should say, not an affiliated college with one of the Ivy League schools. So for them, that seemed like an arcane concept in the United States of America, which was really interesting. So I listened to the both of you and April will continue with season two, bringing in our fabulous associate, Kate Geyer. So there will be the juxtaposition of like 50-30, the older generation and then the newer generation coming in. And then Kim, while she is not continuing with um, season two, she is still on the path. So I feel like it's a parallel path of working education, exposing the younger generation, really, really young generation to what is possible. So while it diverges, it's still focusing on, I hate to say the pipeline, but for like the pipeline to continue to make sure that it is full, it is vibrant, it is diverse. And we can see someone a woman lawyer, a woman chemist, and be able to emulate them and be them as they figure out who they want to be. I know it's a divergent path, but it's still the same mission. Yeah. And I can just kick it off a little bit in that regard. And then I know, you know, Kim will, will pipe in whenever she wants and feel free to interrupt me as well. But um, the thing I look at it as, I feel like I have a personal responsibility to the next generation of women and underrepresented groups, not only in the law, just in life in general. I was thinking about because for International Women's Day, the theme is break the bias and thinking about an example, I know Christina had asked me you know, to put in something for our firm uh, as part of the International Women's Day campaign break the bias. And I was asking my husband last night, I was like, well, I'm trying to think of something because there's so many things that I've kind of dealt with in my career in terms of the bias. And then I was having a hard time coming up with an example, not because I didn't have one, but something that was going to be powerful and kind of try to explain without sounding like you're whining, to be honest, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I feel like I want and I maybe I'm just, you know, talking just, you know, off the top of my head, but I just feel like my job now is, of course, to do my job, 
but it's actually to get that next generation the opportunities that I did not have and kind of focus on them. So not just myself, but them. I hope that makes sense. It it, it does. It, It makes perfect sense. To your point, there's so much work to be done in this area. And um, I I think, first of all, your choice to participate in the um, Women's History Month Break the Bias campaign, I think that speaks volumes. People need to hear your story, right? You have you and, and we've talked about this previously. You have made it much easier for the Kim Davises of the world to come in and be confidently vocal, right? And say, nope, I don't agree with this. And here are my reasons why in a very respectful way, of course, because that's how we do things in the South. But, um, but still you, you have helped to pave the way. And I think that it's very important that that information is not lost on us, that it was not always the way it is now in terms of um, being able to be heard as a woman. So I applaud you for that work. What well, One thing I noted, and I, I noted it even in, in my comments just now, I felt the need to say, oh, but of course, I'll be nice and respectful and I'll be her. And and I, April, I would love for you and Kate to to tackle that a little bit in the next season, if you will, just you know, th- this idea in my mind, my role as a black woman, i.e. the unicorn in the room, is to make sure every single person is super comfortable, that no one feels intimidated at all. No one feels challenged. No one feels I have a chip on my shoulder. No one thinks I'm the angry black woman. Right. And to make sure I don't come across that way, I feel I bend over backwards. My my mom brought it to my attention. She was like, baby, you can't smile any harder than what you're smiling right now. It is, it's just it's it's she didn't say it was too much, but I almost felt that that's what she was getting at. You can bring your full self to the table and not bend over backwards, making every single person feel confident and comfortable that you're not trying to challenge them. You're not challenging them by just being you, by bringing what you bring to the table there. So I would absolutely love if you could um, pick up some of those topics and making sure that uh, we don't feel the need to overcompensate. That's not even the right word to to diminish ourselves almost. Right. It with a a version of ourselves that isn't the true picture, but it's to make others feel more comfortable. It's a good point because there's this amount of self editing that you do. And one of the things I was talking to Kate about, not during uh, a recording episode, but just on, you know, another conversation was there was behavior at law firms 20 years ago that I, I, I think the word I used was accept. Did And I think she said it was really more that people thought it was acceptable. I mean, I and, I and I'm not talking about this firm, but I worked at places where you had to just put up with being sexually harassed constantly. And it was some of it was not overt. Others, other instances, it was overt. There were people that felt like it was acceptable to yell at you, scream at you, throw books at you. I I don't know that I shared it um, when we were on tape before, but I remember showing up for a deposition and the person just assuming that I was the court reporter. And then when I said I was actually an attorney, then asking me who was going to actually take the deposition. 
because it couldn't possibly have been me. I was asked to fetch coffee for people. Um, there was one instance where I was a newly minted partner and I was at um, a different law firm that it was very apparent to the opposing counsel that I was, it was not my office because it was in Boston and he knew that I worked in San Francisco. I was defending the CEO of a, our company for a weeks long deposition. He had an associate sitting next to him, putting stickers on exhibits, getting paid to do that. And on the video, and it was still, we were still on tape. He waved papers in the air and told me to go make photocopies for him. And I crossed my arms and I said to him, I am not making photocopies for you. You can get that associates who's getting paid to put stickers on exhibits to figure out where the photocopier is in this office. Mm -hmm. And I'm not putting up with this behavior. But the fact that I had to say that as a partner yeah. was something, and this is less than 20 years ago. This was mind-blowing to me. Um, but those are just a few instances of some of the things that I had to do. So I feel like I went from accepting that behavior to starting to feel that I could push up against it. And I know with Kate, with her generation, and she, you know, she's strong and um, just a fearless woman from my perspective. So I think that hopefully she'll be able to get that message across that you can be your authentic self and be a strong woman and be able to kind of break through and continue to make change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that all sounds, it, it, it's just very encouraging to hear. And and even if we're attacking it on the women's front right now, right? Because I, I think we all would agree that the discussion deepens a little bit when you start throwing in an additional factor mm-hmm. on top of being mm-hmm. a female, mm-hmm. right? So, so April, in your scenario that you just laid out, I bet it never ran across your mind whether you would then be labeled the angry woman because of your response, right? That That's... It kind of did... It kind of did, especially because we were on on tape, right? I was thinking that, but I didn't care because at that point I was I was I was sick of having to edit myself and deal with these not even microaggressions. I mean, very aggressive behavior treating me like it was, you know, something that was acceptable in 1952 and it wasn't something that should have been acceptable then, but it was behavior that some of these men thought was okay. And, and I decided that it was time to really take a stand and be more, I don't want to say aggressive because that's not the right word, more forceful. Perhaps that's the better word. Like Colleen Bear would say assertive in the uh, vision 2020 episode, assertive, like stepping into your role as a partner and showing that you have earned that spot. And that's not necessarily your job anymore. That's never your job anyway. Well, and that's the thing. And it goes back to, you know, these are tropes that have been dealt with for centuries where if you're an assertive woman, you're a bitch, right? You go in and you give an aggressive cross-examination that is just spot on and somehow you're the nasty woman who's, you know, overly aggressive. And if a a guy does it, his friends are high-fiving him because he just crushed it. And um, it's as I was mentioning to Kate, I find that I've often been underestimated. And I'm sure, Kim, you've dealt with that as well, based on just visually looking at us and making a lot of assumptions about who we are. 
um, because, you know, I'm a fairly petite woman and when, and you, Kim, as a black woman, that people just visually look at us and make a lot of assumptions. And I, I don't know if you feel like you've been underestimated or how you would describe it, Kim. Well, it depends on who we're speaking with, right? And and their exposure. Some people to this day will probably still say, I still don't see how she got where she is. Others uh, is like, why did it take so long? I'm confused. That should have been years ago. Um, but but April, I need to roll back just something you said. You you were characterizing the ways that when you push back, others would refer to you and you used aggressive and nasty and the B word. Y'all know I don't curse because I'm Southern. Um <laughs> kidding catch me on the wrong day <laughs> but but really i'm i'm being in in all seriousness here angry that word angry has a special meaning when it comes to black women mm. and when we are labeled as angry that is almost i'm i'm reminded of mrs obama not that i'm saying i'm on mrs obama's <laughs> level but when she made a comment when her husband was running for office, something to the effect of she was proud of her country or something like that, that comment spiraled until they and she's silent. Meanwhile, she is silent during this time. At the end of the day, she becomes the angry black woman. Mm. Now, how does that comment <laughs> then take flight and turn you into angry? Right. And, and that's that's the line that I walk. It's a very, very delicate balance. I don't get labeled as aggressive. I don't get labeled as nasty. I don't get that. I am immediately angry. I have a chip on my shoulder. And that gives the person interpreting me and characterizing me in that manner, that gives them the liberty to then dismiss anything else that comes out of my mouth. Mm. So when I was a younger professional, right, I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. That couldn't happen. I um I masked the true Kim, right? The the Kim who uh, let's just be be real. I have a very uh let's see how would we say it? Not volatile, but I am very spirited. Mm -hmm. Let's say that mm -hmm. I'm spirited. A, a strong personality in a good way. Very strong yeah. personality, and we can discuss something, and I will get very passionate about an issue. And then we move on and I'm fine. Right. But but this this attempt to put me in a category based on these moments of spirited discussion. Right. To mm -mm, don't don't do that with Kim, because, you know, she's pretty angry. She's angry in general. So we're going to dismiss her position completely. Right. And let's focus on the p perspective from a woman who may just give us an aggressive take. Right. So, so do you see where mm -hmm. I'm going there? I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but black women have a different challenge and a different struggle mm -hmm. than that of other women. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. There's no other way that I can be delicate about right. it. And, and that's just that's reality in America mm -hmm. in 2022. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I I'm listening to what you're saying. And one of the things I'm thinking is it's these snapshots in time that people take. And what they're really doing is taking away power, yes. right? They're, it's, that's how I, and I'm actually sort of got like chills just thinking about it because that's really what it is, is that the, it's this attempt or desire perhaps to take away power. What are your thoughts on that, Kim? 
I think you have hit the nail on the head right there, April. It, it's it's an attempt to make sure, you know, society has has certain boxes and we all need to fit neatly within. Right. So when you kind of step outside of what someone expects from you. In a meeting this morning I was in, as a matter of fact, I asked the question that had um, the board looking at me like, oh, wait, wait, did that just come out of her mouth? Because we were prepared for this type of question from someone like you. We weren't prepared for that question that came out of your mouth. Um, so so I think you're right. I think you're right. But But to the extent and I'm not saying that I need to remove all filters. I think no one needs to remove all filters. <laughs> but to the extent that I felt the need to diminish myself, to self-diminish. So taking my own power away in that instance, right, to make others feel comfortable, I'm done. Well, and that's the thing is that I understand, of course, that we live in a world where and we're in, in a profession where there's a certain amount of, you know, maybe self-editing or whatever the word is, but taking away power and then feeling like you have to try to gain it back mm -hmm. again yeah, and be able to be your authentic self. And in a way, it's sort of people trying to take your power and make you smaller. Yes. Mm -hmm. And invisible in a certain way. And, you know, I know certainly with, you know, the history of this country, uh, with not just black women, obviously, but black people in general, and certainly with women, isn't that part of what it was, is that making us invisible, not be heard and not have power? That's right. That's right. To your point, yep, in other groups as well, you're absolutely right about that. Um, but I, I mean, hey, that <laughs> going back to Christina's question about what's next. I mean, I think both of us are are ready. Mm -hmm. Right, April? We're, we're ready to tackle some of these issues. <laughs> yeah. And part of it is, is that I'm kind of just fed up yeah. with feeling like that's what it is, that we can't be ourselves and be strong, powerful women that have something to say. And it goes to something I was just thinking about that I know we've both certainly dealt with is this concept of tokenism. Mm -hmm. Kim, I would I would love for you to talk a little bit about how that's affected you. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's such a good question. We're going to have to edit some of this, Christina. <laughs> just FYI. Um, let, let me think a little bit about how I want to push this. I would be incredibly naive to say that every role that I've sat in is because, oh, they recognized my worth and what I bring to the table. At the end of the day, sometimes it's about the fact that I check a couple of boxes for them, right? So to your point about the tokenism, um, I represent that token. So, so I struggled with this for some years. Um, it became a question of, so do I take a stance and say, you know what, it's not enough for me to just be on your team to check a couple of boxes. I need to make sure that I'm being involved in the work that's meaningful to me. I need to make sure that I'm not, you know, just just playing this role that I fought so hard and I am well credentialed to not be a part of. I stand on my own. But then I realized, you know what, Kim? You're a part of a team. Mm -hmm. So if being a part of a team means, yeah, you go ahead and you go along with it and then you show out, you show the Kim Davis. No, 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 no. Sorry. The Kim Becknell 
from Xavier University of Louisiana who will outshine anyone you put in her path in a certain area. When I'm in my area, no one can touch me in that. I'm in, when I'm in my lane, I'm in my lane. It's just what it is. So I've decided to take that approach instead. Um, is it the right approach? I'm, I'm still not so sure. Will I eventually shift back over and say, you know what, if I'm presented with a quote unquote opportunity in that manner, I will immediately shut it down. I don't know. I, I'm, I may go that way. But the way I currently stand is, OK, so however I got there, I'm there. But what are you going to do once you get there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded we just we had the great opportunity to do the recording um, for the interview with Kate Geyer, our new co-host. And, you know, the final question in all of most of our episodes when we do the interviews was, what's your advice to the first and only? And in that conversation, Kate said, and this is to your point, Kim, about working with the system right now is... Yes, she will, you know, she will embrace being the first, but also she will create new tables for Mm -hmm. that. So I feel like that was, and I know you weren't on that recording session, but I just feel like that transcended her message there is exactly what you're saying. So you are going to work within the system now, change it to the way that you will make your own, you will create your own tables. So, man, that's powerful. <laughs> and, it, and it was based on me asking a question because as both of you know, and I think our listeners that have been kind of involved in the listening to the podcast from the beginning, Shirley Chisholm is one, mm-hmm. of, one of my absolute favorite people. And I did have that opportunity to have her as a professor when I was at Mount Holyoke. And, you know, I paraphrase her, if you don't, if they don't give you a seat mm-hmm. at the table, bring your own folding chair. And the question to, to, to Kate was, but then there's this other concept of create your own table. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes to what you were saying, Kim, as well. You know, sometimes we need to bring the folding chair to the round table and kind of elbow our way in to get there. But then there's also this sense of sort of like the new, the new girls network, right? Mm-hmm. And we're creating our own table and making sure that people know, fine, you don't want to give us a seat where we're creating our own and we're going to be here to support each other. Um, That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Love it. I think that's a great way to just kind of put our recap and say, this is the sis, this is what the sisterhood of sidebars created. It has created embracing being at that table, bringing in the folding chairs and then on the side, continuing on with the great work of creating not just the girls network, it's the black children, um, the Asian children, the underrepresented groups, they get to see us shine and step into the light and be us and bring our power into the world. So thank you so much. First of all, for saying yes to the podcast because that the original idea was just was articles, which was great. But these conversations have a lot of new ones. So thank you for saying yes. And if you have parting words, go right ahead. Maybe the one thing that just to dovetail off of that, Christina, is you're right, that writing something or an article 
But then that's different than having a voice and being heard. And for us to hear all of these women that were guests and obviously the three of us being able to express our voice. And then the one thing I do want to say is, and this is not gratuitous at all, this comes fully from the heart, is I want to thank the leadership of this firm, Mm -hmm. the management of this firm for being so supportive of us doing this and letting us be our authentic selves. Because if we didn't have their support, we couldn't be here today and be sharing this and having all of these outstanding women as guests open up their hearts and their homes really to us. Mm -hmm. So I want to just, I just want to thank the firm. So again, uh, that's a nice ditto that I'm going to say after what you said, April, but, and Christina, I know you're not going to love me for doing this, but I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank Caleb. First of all, everyone sees the polished final version. No one sees the time and dedication that is put into creating, first of all, creating the podcast overall. You and Caleb took it from absolute nothing. It did not exist. You got artwork together. You navigated how to get us on every possible podcast platform. You had private discussions with us about how to improve to make sure that all of our listeners are able to benefit from these discussions. You have calmed us down when we were fired up about whatever. You've dealt with ugly schedules. You've dealt with it all. And have done so, so graciously with a smile on your face like our listeners can't see, but we can see it right now. And I just want to thank you for it. Thank you for being so bold, bold enough to not tackle, (laughs) but but to make sure you were able to get our attention to where we gave this the time that was needed to make it into what it is. I appreciate you for allowing me to grow in this manner because I have grown a lot over the past year. So many thanks to you. Caleb, you're not on with us, but thank you so, so much for all you have done, your unlimited devotion to this project. And if I could just continue with the love fest, just to a certain extent, I, for me, I, I'm proud that I get to call Christina a friend. The other person I want to give a shout out is to John Page because he fully embraced us doing this when when Christina presented the idea and just said, let's just do it. Let's do it. So thank you to John as well. Sidebar Season 2 will feature patent litigators. On the next episode, April Abley Isaacson interviews our Season 2 co-host, Kate Geyer. Here's a preview of their conversation. But I think it's interesting with your parents talking about, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that really the sky was the limit in terms of how they supported you. But then you ran into institutional bias within your school environment. How did you reconcile it? Or maybe now looking back, how do you reconcile that? I don't reconcile it. I just think institutional bias is something to break. I think my parents, by making the sky the limit in the first instance, by growing up with that as my my viewpoint, I just don't accept limits that don't need to be there. So I I don't think they need to be reconciled. I think institutional limits are there to be broken. Well, and it's really funny because um, we did not plan this ahead, listeners, yeah. <laughs> I assure you. But today we are recording. It is International Women's Day. And I don't even know, Kate, if you're aware of the theme this year for International Women's Day is 
break the bias. Love it. So appropriate for this conversation today. And I think as our listeners know, and I know Kate knows, you know, she and I are very much different generations. And I like to think that things would be different for someone who's in their early 30s compared to someone in their in their mid 50s where I am. But it sounds like you're still dealing with some of the same things that were happening for the last 50 plus years, which is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's probably at a different level. I think it's a little more understated. I think it's I think there's a lot more support at higher levels, like from the generations that have been through it before. There's a lot more female mentors now who are willing to help break the system and recognize the issues. And quite frankly, a lot more male mentors as well. I think it's not something people are afraid of talking about, but there is just some of that gut stuff that's still there, still being the one that asked to plan the potluck, still being the one asked to take notes at meetings. Some of that stuff is still pervasive and there's now opportunities to call it out. But it, yeah, I think there's some stuff that's that's still... It hasn't been fixed, but it can be fixed. And I think we're, the conversations can happen now to start fixing them. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed Sidebars, we invite you to check out the Kilpatrick Townsend Medicine and Molecules blog at kilpatricktownsend.com to read, watch, and listen to other related insight on patent law. We'll also put that information in the show notes. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and are not those of Kilpatrick Townsend. Also, we would love it if you would rate us or leave a review. It helps others find the show. See you next time. Mm-hmm.